this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Well, good morning. I'm looking forward to studying with you today. We're continuing in the book of Proverbs. So if you want to open your Bible up to the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, that's where we're going to start this morning. Last week, we looked at Solomon's wisdom in the book of Proverbs concerning laziness and that aspect of work ethic, you know, from a negative angle. And he had a lot to say about laziness and warning against it and the consequences of of laziness. And, you know, by virtue of that, of course, we understand the biblical principle a goal of, of hard work and the command to be diligent workers. And today we're going to continue in that same vein, just from a slightly different angle. We're going to look at it, I guess, from the positive angle. So not necessarily focusing on warnings against laziness and and focusing on the consequences of laziness, but really looking at Solomon's exhortations to be diligent, to be proactive, uh, to be go-getters, as, as we might say and the consequences or rewards, I should say, of being that kind of worker. Uh, so regardless of one's economic status, whether we, where we find ourselves on the spectrum, if we're poor or rich or somewhere in, in between, we are called to be diligent workers. And I couldn't help but think of Ruth in this, in this study, and we'll get to her in just, just a moment. But Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 4, let me read this to get us started, uh, which we read last week. Where That's where Solomon says that the hand of the diligent makes rich. That the hand of the diligent makes rich. And so right away, as Solomon begins this discussion, we can see one of the rewards he mentions here is the uh, success, financial or otherwise, is an, an abundance of resources or, or revenue uh, for the diligent. You know, so just as assuredly as God allows those who are lazy, those who are sluggards to suffer their just desserts, so also he rewards those who work hard. That's just how he's set things up. And and while it's true, and I need to add this very quickly, we have to remember that we're that the, we're in the book of Proverbs, and Proverbs is a book of probabilities, not necessarily promises. And so it's true that not all diligent, hardworking people have lots of money, right? Um, there's a lot of hardworking law enforcement officers out there, but they're not, you know, floating in a tub of gravy. Now they're taken care of by and large. To to my knowledge, I have a lot of, I have a few family members who in, who are in that field, law enforcement, and so I think of that as an example of, you know, of of someone in society who is, you know, risking their lives and working incredibly hard generally speaking, but they're not the most well-paid people. Teachers would be another example of, of that. But for the most part, they're taken care of, right? And so we have to remember that Proverbs is a book of probabilities. You know, they're maxims that are generally true. And occasionally, you know, there's all sorts of stories in the world and experiences that we can see where, you know, the sluggard or the lazy person is rewarded. You know, even lazy people win the lottery from time to time. Um, and on the flip side, again, you know, there's diligent, hardworking people who face, you know, accidents and disabilities or other hardships. Uh, but those those are the exceptions and not the rule. 
and God's word still stands that those who work hard generally prosper you know, most of the time. And so we have to keep that in mind as we're going through, especially as we're considering some of the rewards of working diligently. But whether we're rich or poor, we're expected to work hard. And I, I couldn't help but think of Ruth again as I was going through this study and taking her as an, as an example because Ruth was poor. If you turn over to, to the book of Ruth in chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2, where we find Ruth and Naomi in, in dire straits. Remember, at the beginning of the book of Ruth, you know, these two women are related. You know, Ruth is the daughter-in-law of this woman, Naomi, and both of their husbands have dead, are, are dead, rather. So Naomi's husband has died. Ruth's husband has passed away. And uh, the rest of the family has has remained in the land of, of Moab, uh, Moab. But Ruth and Naomi have returned to Judah, to, to Israel, to live their live out the rest of their lives. And remember, Naomi tries to persuade Ruth to stay where she is and go back to her people and find a husband and, you know, be supported and, and things like this. But, you know, that's where we find the famous text that Ruth says, wherever you will go, I will go. And where you dwell, I will dwell, and your people shall be my people, and your God be my God. So Ruth is determined to go with Naomi, and she does. And we find them here in Israel again in Ruth chapter 2. And we have to remember that in, in ancient society, widows were, were practically destitute. There was very little they could do. You, you know, there wasn't these kinds of social programs where we, you know, we're in a lot of ways very fortunate to have in, in our country things like you know medicaid for those who generally need it and medicare for the elderly uh you know if there was an elderly widow uh in in the ancient in ancient times you know she didn't have those things she had to rely solely upon her surviving family her sons or her children if she had no children then that was that was even worse she was even in worse circumstances and uh, we could get into a big discussion about that but um but my point is is to to give the most accurate picture these women were um impoverished and so Ruth uh Ruth says to Naomi in Ruth chapter 2 and verse 2 please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I might find favor and i think that's such a great example because it shows the diligence of of Ruth she may have been poor but she was willing to work, and, and that's what exactly what she did. And she was going to go out and find an opportunity to work. And so she says, let me go to the field. Let me go and glean. And, and remember, in ancient Israel, there was a law for the people that they had to allow the, the poor to glean in their field and, and uh, during the harvest time and not, not stop them. You know? So, you know, but they didn't have combines and thing like, things like that as they went through and, and harvested their, their weed. You know, it was all done by hand, and it was chopped, and then they would bundle the sheaves together, and then they would, you know, take them to the threshing floor. But, it, you know, in all of that, you know, there would be some, um, uh, you know, ears that would that would fall and some, and some stalks that would fall, and then the poor could come and just basically pick them off, off the ground, you know, not take a sheave of wheat or sheaves of wheat, but, you know, what whatever was left over in the corners of the field, then they could, um, you know, take that. And so that's what Ruth is wanting to do. So she's ready to work and she's willing to work. And her attitude and her service was such that everybody knew that she was a woman of, of noble character. And the person who she initially goes to here is, is Boaz, because he's a relative of, of Naomi, a distant, distant relative. 
And he is very kind uh, to her in verse 8. He says, listen carefully, don't go to another place, another field. Uh, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids and let your eyes be on the field which they reap. And then he instructs his servants to be kind to her. And she wants to know why, uh, why he has shown her such favor in verse 10. Uh, why should you take notice of me? And Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth. And you came to people that you did not previously know. And he says, may the Lord reward you, your work and the wages and your wages be full from the, from the Lord. And so Boaz sees this work ethic in, in Ruth. You know, we're not given all the details of what Ruth had done prior to this point, but Boaz knows the sacrifice and the service and the work ethic of Ruth. And he wants to reward that as a noble man, as, as, an, as an honorable man um, who wants uh, to reward hard work because he knows God rewards hard work. And the fact that's what he says, may the Lord, may your wages be full from, from the Lord. And if you move forward to chapter 3, you know, he says something similar again in verse 11, uh, Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11. He says, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence or a woman of noble character. And so my point is, is that Ruth had this reputation as a noble woman, a woman of character, a woman of excellence, who wasn't lazy who was very diligent, though she was poor, she was going to work and work hard so that she could provide for the mother-in-law whom she loved. And I think in this, among other places, we see where Scripture makes a distinction. Scripture makes a distinction between the deserving and the undeserving poor. Now, that might rub people some, some people the wrong way, uh, but let me just explain what I mean very quickly here. Second Thessalonians 3.10, for example, Paul says, If anyone is not willing to work, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. And Solomon says in Proverbs 16.26 that a worker's appetite works for him, for his hunger urges him on. So again, no matter what our station is in life, if we're capable of working, that's the key word, if we're capable of working to provide for our own and for our families, then we need to be diligent to do so and refuse to enable those who are unwilling to lift a finger to support themselves. And the scripture says, again, if anyone is not willing to work, then he's not to eat either. In other words, don't reward that behavior of someone who's sitting on their hands. Don't enable them. Now, there are people who are in genuine need and who are incapable of working. Ruth doesn't fall in that category. She was in need and she was impoverished, but she was capable of working. She knew that, and so she was willing to work. Uh, but there are those who are just incapable, and we see that in Scripture also where uh, folks who are, are blind or, or handicapped or paralyzed even in, or you know, have some other disability or, or wholly dependent upon uh, the benevolence of of society, benevolence of individuals, and and uh, and that's our role to to step up and and help those folks when we can. Let us do good to all men as we have opportunity, but especially to those of the household of faith. Galatians six ten, certainly true in a spiritual sense, but also uh, physically, we need to assist when we can. So ultimately, the question I want to ask from that part of our study this morning is what reputation do we have as workers in our community? You know, Ruth had a, a reputation 
And it was a good one. And she was known as a, a woman of character and a diligent worker. But what about us? You know, what do our employers see or what do our employees see in us if we're in the employer role or if we're a boss somewhere, a business or company? What What is our reputation? Are we known as a man or woman of noble character with regard to our work ethic? You know, remember, Boaz was informed of Ruth's sacrifice, and this garnered favor for her in his eyes. And those, I think, who are wise, according to Solomon in the book of Proverbs, they, they work hard. Now, this is a point that we that we looked at last week. I'm going to return to it just a moment from Proverbs 6 and verse 6, where Solomon says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise. Without supervision, you know, the ant takes initiative, uh, makes preparations for the future. And those are marks of a, of a diligent worker. I think that's one of the things that Solomon wants us to learn here, that uh, working wisely and exercising wisdom on the job uh, is it takes initiative. It means taking initiative, rather, and, and being forward-thinking. Working wisely entails making preparations for the future, looking to the future, you know, he says again in Proverbs 21 and verse 5 that the plans, the plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. So a wise worker is going to choose a career uh, that will utilize his or her abilities and pursue the necessary training to be successful in, in that. Uh, think ahead, uh, not only how I can work here and now, but what can I do? How can I use my abilities or talents or education or whatever the case may be? to best serve uh, future interest and, and those of my family and, and those who may be in need. So if that means uh, doing menial labor in the short term in the hopes of being promoted later or, or getting more education, then so be it. Uh, the, the, the point is, is that the wise worker, the diligent worker, gets to work. Whatever work that, that may be, so long as it's honorable, and, and earns some sort of, of revenue. You know, they're not distracted by get-rich-quick schemes. Right? They're, not, they're not just chasing after useless, uh, you know, schemes and being taken in by people uh, really who want to take advantage of them. But a wise worker understands that God's formula for success is to gain valuable skills and then put those skills to work. And work hard, and then through that, he or she can gradually build financial stability and, and wealth. Proverbs twenty-eight and verse nineteen: He who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty and plenty. So there again, we have this exhortation to diligence: till your land, get busy where you are, doing what you can do, and you will have plenty of food. But if you start chasing empty pursuits, you know, I think of get-rich-quick schemes or, uh, you know, other things um, that ultimately you just end up spinning your tires. And Solomon says, you'll have poverty and plenty. A wise and diligent worker uh, also, I think, sees to his affairs well. You know, we, we talk about people staying on top of things. And I think that's actually a biblical principle if you look in Proverbs 23 excuse me, Proverbs 27, down in verse 23, Solomon says this, Know well the condition of your flocks, and pay attention to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. 
When the grass disappears, the new growth is seen, and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in. The lambs will be for your clothing, and the goats will bring the price of a field. And there will be goats um, milk enough for your food, for the food of your household, and sustenance for your maidens. And so this is a, you know, an old I think proverb and adage that we probably heard uh, many times, where we, when people say, you know, take care of your business and it will take care of you. And uh, that was something that uh, my dad used to apply. It was a favorite expression of his when he would apply it to vehicle maintenance. He would always tell me, you take care of it, it'll take take care of you. In other words, you know, don't fall behind on your old changes and rotating your tires and, you know, see, see to it that it's, you know, that it's well maintained and taken care of. And then it won't leave you stranded on the side of the road was his point. And that you know that he was applying this biblical principle specifically to that that situation, uh, but it's true of all of our affairs. We may not, um, you know, we may not live in a predominantly agrarian society today. So we hear Solomon talking about goat's milk and herbs on the mountain and things like this. We wonder what's going on. Uh, but the idea is, uh, again, you, you take care of the the application is that you know we need to keep our work in in good order. And take good care of our equipment, you know, whatever that may translate to. Um, and so when we go to our offices or clinics or stores or where, wherever our vocation is, uh, what we do, you know, does it resemble something that uh, uh, that's that's broken down? You know, are we not looking looking to it? Do we not know the condition of our flocks? Are we not giving a careful attention to our our herds in that in that sense? Uh, and Solomon saying. When he says that riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations, he says just the point is just because it was, it's been good in the past, and just because or maybe your successor, if you're inheriting a family business or something like that, just because it was successful in the past or, well, you know, well oiled in the past doesn't mean it's going to continue that way. If it's now your responsibility, it's not going to take care of itself. Uh, you have got to uh, uh, step up, and so. We find this other expression. I think that ties in well to this. Ties in well to this teaching in Proverbs twenty-four. Solomon says, "I passed by the field of the sluggard, and by the vineyard of the man lacking sense, and behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Uh, its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down." So, if that's the case of you know, if that's the state of our affairs, well, then what are we doing about it? What are we What are we doing about it? Are we correcting those situations? You know, Solomon says, everything was torn down. Everything's overgrown and there's thorns and thistles. And, you know, obviously that's not a field that's been maintained and cared for. That's someone who's not seeing to their business proper, properly. And they're going to suffer for it ultimately. So maybe our homes or stores or clinics or equipment maybe uh, maybe looks the same. And if so, we need we need to act on it. God rewards the diligent, again, just as assuredly as he allows the lazy to suffer the consequences of their their actions. You know, one of the other things that Solomon has to say about those who are diligent in Proverbs 12, 24, is that the hand of the diligent will rule. You know, when we give ourselves to our work, I think one of the, the things that Scripture is teaching, when we give ourselves, when we dedicate ourselves to our work, not as... Not as an idolater, of course, but when we are just working with our hands heartily, as the Scripture teaches, we 
we learn and we grow and we become more and more proficient in our vocation and thus our skills and services or product will be in greater demand and will be promoted our business will grow we'll have more responsibility and, and be respected in the community and i think that that is the the thrust of proverbs 12 24 when when Solomon is saying is that the hand of the diligent will rule. People will take notice. People are going to take notice. And so more rule or responsibility or even authority will be given to the diligent worker. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man who is skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. So wise and diligent workers, uh, again, are, are, are the ones who are that employers take note of who since responsibilities and increase whose skills are in demand um, but also who have this uh, level of prestige who will not stand before obscure men but stand before kings and that would be a tremendous blessing we have to remember too that as wise um, and diligent workers we won't just stand before kings but we'll also stand before the king in fact, all workers will, whether they're wise or diligent or lazy and and sluggard. It's not just apostles and preachers and teachers and, and other folks who will be recompensed on the day of judgment according to their deeds. It's it's everyone. It's, it's all people who either honor or dishonor God by their work. Ephesians 6, 8. We have the command, With goodwill render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does... This he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And so we need to dedicate ourselves to our work, give ourselves to our work in the biblical sense, not as not in the sense of idolatry, of course. And that's that's the next warning here uh, that I want to, to go into as we begin to wind down. So having said all of that and, and what we've seen in, in Proverbs thus far and the many exhortations to diligence, and the rewards of working uh, diligently and how God views that. Having said all of that, I think we need to hear uh, two warnings of Scripture. Is that, one, don't make work an idol. And two, don't forget that if we are successful in our vocation, that our success ultimately depends on God. That He's the source of it. And He is the one who can take it from us or, or allow us to maintain it. Ultimately, um, so we can't be uh, so intent on success that in our careers we neglect our first priority, which is service to God and glorifying Him. And it's true that we should honor God, as as we talked about last week. We we honor God through our vocation, and as we just read in Ephesians six eight, you you do all things as as to the Lord because He ultimately repays each one. Uh, according to his deeds, 2 Corinthians 5.10. Um, so we honor God through our jobs and through our vocations and careers, but our job cannot become our God. Right? It, can't, it can't take his place. It can't pull us away from assembling regularly with, with the saints as we're commanded to do in Hebrews 10.24 and 25. We're commanded not to forsake the assembly of the saints, as is the habit of some, some the writer says, but we're to encourage one another and provoke one another to love and good deeds, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Uh, so we have to 
make sure that we're giving time to the spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study, and we're not being overcome um, with our, our work, workloads and, and uh, allowing ourselves just to be swallowed up by, by our pursuit of success or climbing the, the corporate ladder. Uh, so our, our vocation can't become our God. Uh, but nevertheless, we are to work heartily, and there's no shame in that, and there's nothing wrong with that, and that is absolutely 100% biblical. Um, and then again, going back to number two, we can't forget that if we are successful, it's God who deserves all of the glory. Our success ultimately depends upon Him and His His blessing. Uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18, he, he wanted the people to be careful to remember that it was God who had given them every good thing when they came into the land and they had the wells and the vineyards and, and the homes and they were prospering um, physically and materially uh, and they were and they had, would have an abundance. He says, you, you remember that it's God who gave these things to you. Otherwise, he says in verse 17 of Deuteronomy 8, otherwise you may say in your heart, my power and my strength and the strength of my hand made me this well. But you shall remember that the Lord your God, uh, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. And that's key. And that will keep us humble. That no matter how successful we are, um, or how rewarded we are, either financially or, or otherwise, uh, in, in our vocations, that it's ultimately God who gives us the strength and ability to, to make wealth. Uh, to provide for our families. He's he's still ultimately the source of every good thing. So skilled and successful workers are often tempted to feel proud and take all the credit for what they've accomplished and boast about what they've achieved or what they plan to achieve in, in the future. And we need to be very careful about that. We need to be very careful about that because, again, our success is totally dependent upon God's blessing. And he promises to humble those who are proud. Proverbs 16 and verse 3, commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. And again, James chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So both of those texts are speaking to the importance of uh, remembering our dependency upon God and including Him and submitting to him our, our plans, you know, in, in prayer. Lord, I, I want to do this. I want to go this direction. And I, I pray that I will be blessed in doing so. But in all things, your will be done. You know, not, not my will, but your will be done. So do we heed the wisdom of God in this area of our lives? As we think about working and working diligently, the price of success is hard work, dedication to the job at hand, and the determination that whether we win or lose, we have applied the best of ourselves to the task at hand. Vince Lombardi once said that. And I think there's a lot of biblical wisdom in that quote. So is that what people see when they see us working in, in the world? And, you know, that will create an opportunity, too, to tell them about Jesus Christ. Why is it that we work so hard? Well, ultimately, we're not working for ourselves, but we're working for him. At least we should be. So have you obeyed him? That's the question. Are we obeying Him? Which is really at the root of, of all Bible study. Are we applying ourselves and giving ourselves to His will? And if not, why not? Because we stand to gain everything. 
if we do and we stand to lose everything if we if we don't in the final analysis and judgment uh, so maybe you're listening this morning and you haven't done that you haven't obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ you're not in fellowship with with God well Jesus said unless that you believe I am he you will die in your sins in John 8 24 and so you have to believe Jesus is who he said he is the Son of God the Messiah who came into the world to save men from their sins. If you believe that, Peter says in Acts 2.38, that you should repent. That means do an about face, turn from your wicked ways, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Be immersed in water. And perhaps we can help you somehow in your obedience to the gospel. You can contact us at leonvalleychurch.org. You can shoot me an email at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. I monitor that account. And so maybe you want to study some more about these things or you have a question, don't hesitate to ask. Don't hesitate to contact us. I encourage you to pray over these things. And I'm going to do the same. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.